welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, the episode we're going to be talking about is another one in the series of the challenges of recruitment in the gaming industry. We've got some fantastic guests from uh, from brilliant gaming studios as well to talk about this topic. So, we're gonna before we get into the questions, we're gonna go around and do a round of introductions. So, Josh, do you want to introduce yourself first for us? Yep, sure, no worries. Uh, I'm Josh. Um, hello, I'm the senior TA. Uh, frontier development um it's my second time with a studio worked here about five years ago when we we're around 450 people uh at sands this year in january and we're just over 900 now so it's been pretty busy whilst we've been gone um, and i look after the hires i guess across production game design audio i've been in the recruitment industry around 10 years now nice to meet you all Fantastic. Thank you very much, Josh. Casper, uh, introduce yourself for us, please. Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Casper. I'm the lead and senior talent acquisition specialist at IRO Interactive. So it's a pleasure to be here. So thanks for inviting me. I've been in the games industry for, well, approximately only three years now. But before that, I was in, uh, in a big data company where I was heading up the support division. And I was also in an operations role before that. So been doing a lot of recruitment uh, before that, but just not in the games industry. But um, it's uh, definitely the place to be. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much. And Andy, lastly, over, over to you. Sure. Uh, yeah, my name's Andy Driver. So I am the talent acquisition manager at XR Games. Um, I've been here now for a year and a half, uh, but been in the games industry for probably about four years or so. I used to. Uh, I used to be in charge of running a n- non-profit, which helped students uh, in the games industry. Um, and then I've been in recruitment for, say, about nine or ten years, I think, at the minute. Um, overall, also worked in big data as well, actually doing doing recruitment. Um, very glad, very glad I'm not doing that anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Thank you, all of you. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Yeah, we've got please enjoy the rest of the podcast. To talk about today, so let's go straight into them. And the first question is going to come from Josh. Yeah, sure. I'll kick things off. So, um, I guess what I was pondering about in terms of some of the questions that I've asked today. Um, I mean, there's a million topics, but I decided to go to go with this one. So, um, as we're working, I guess, in an incredibly creative, passionate industry, when we're reviewing portfolios, etc., how do we manage around kind of personal taste, familiarity bias when we're reviewing kind of the portfolios from hiring teams? So, something that I'm keen to dive into a little bit because as we get a bigger and bigger studio, you're going to get people who have their own preferences, personal tastes about games, ways to design, ways art should look, way audio should sound. So I'm really keen to see what other studios are doing and, and how we can um, can work through that. Yeah, fantastic question. Uh, Andy or Casper, do any of you want to want to kick off? 
Yeah, I can kick it off. Yeah, well, um, so yeah, I, I completely agree, actually, Charles. It's a good point. I think um, I've also experienced that now. You know, at Iron Tractor, we're now doing uh, the James Bond game, the next James Bond game, and now we're also doing a fantasy game. So definitely, uh, I've experienced that with hiring teams, that they are, you know, very biased, has their own taste, and it's difficult. And I think it's also, as a recruiter, it's difficult to understanding that taste when you look through lots of portfolios, trying to completely get that understanding and that full information of what it is that we're exactly looking for. You might see something that you like, but then you present it to the hiring team and says, yeah, it might look good, but it's not what we're looking for. Um, and then if you ever do happen to find that somebody who fits that profile or that kind of style of artwork, let's say that's what they're doing, uh, it might not be what the, the hiring team just likes. So I, I agree. Um, how to come over it, I think is really difficult. Uh, and I think it's all about communication. Uh, usually it's from, from, you know, from the hiring team to, to really, um, be excellent in trying to communicate what it is we're looking for, why it is we're looking for it. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't think there's a, a true, you know, a solution uh, to, to this question because it, it ultimately comes down to, to how people feel about something, which I think it's so difficult to remove being biased, even as a recruiter. Um, so yeah, not really an answer here, it's just the more of an acknowledgement here of the fact that you raised this issue, because I've experienced it as well. I don't know, Andy, what do you think, Andy, Andy D? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it is difficult because, yeah, the, 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 the games industry lends itself to having lots and lots of different opinions, lots of different types of games, different styles, art styles, ways in which things are constructed. Um, for me, the one thing I know that I was guilty of earlier in my career is um, jumping on things too quick. Um, so we need, you know, being told, okay, we need a, a senior environment artist. Go, right, cool. And I'll just go out and right, I'll go and do it. Whereas actually what we really focus on now is is um, getting that brief right, right at the beginning. So taking a bit more time before we go out to market and speak to anybody to actually properly nail down what is needed for that role and what what i'm really focusing on right now is is really trying to bring as much objectivity as as possible um to all of this um and that comes from being really transparent and you working as a as a group so you know ultimately there's not one person who makes the the hiring decision there, there's you know a group of people um and you know my goal as soon as we got a new role was to get that group of people in the same room or on the same call or whatever else and hash out exactly what is needed for this project and it and uh, so everyone's on the same page right from the beginning and then there's no surprises and then it, you know, it also makes our life a lot easier then because then i i know what i'm looking for um the amount of times i you know our, our roles are slightly easier because a lot of the time you can just be like show me what you want go and find a profile on art station of anybody it doesn't matter yeah. just find show me something say and show this is what i want to see in a portfolio cool right i can i can go and find that it's a bit harder for, for programmers or, or designers or somewhere else but yeah certainly certainly just the kind of working working um to really kind of objectively get to it right at the beginning um is certainly the way that i find um to go about it yeah i think they're really good really good points i mean doing that thorough brief at the start that's what you should be doing anyway and um, we've always been taught that since we were more junior recruiters um to get that right but i, I think 
you've hit the nail on the head there a little bit and this is what we're trying to do more of a frontier and other studios that I know of is that there isn't a single point of failure in a recruitment process so you've got a kind of a, almost like a mini team or a board of people looking at it who all have different opinions and tastes and say that yeah I know your particular taste might not like this but but I do um and I think it's I think it's good so we we need to kind of come to a, an agreement in the middle somewhere to say that yes this is someone that we that we go for and we don't get too hung up on the little intricacies that we don't quite like about something because they can always be filled out in a when you come to make a game or make the next next bit of and work or body work that goes into a project so yeah it's really really interesting and i, I like your point on our station yeah that's that's so easy to do and um, so show me something make them do the work make them yeah. do the work I, yeah you know you what don't don't I don't want to waste my time and your time as a hiring manager uh, of going out and finding a load of people, send them to you to have a look through to, for you to go, yeah, no, I don't like any of them. Um, <laughs> you know, just tell me what you want right from the beginning. And the, I think that the job we have as recruiters is that actually sometimes people don't know what they want and that happens yeah. more often exactly. than we like to think. Um, they don't know. And so sometimes... I'd like I've done sessions where we've sat down and I've done sourcing alongside them. Uh, they'll sit with me for 15 minutes and you know, I won't speak to candidates necessarily, but I'll be going through portfolios and going through stuff and going, what about this? Do you like this? Do you not like this? Why not? And, and you know, just giving, I think just inviting them in. So it's not just, here's a bunch of CVs. What do you yeah. want? Yeah, and that makes, that makes sense. I think, uh, yeah, especially in like, game studios, what's on the CV in, in general is much of a muchness. There's a lot of things you can talk about, but it's really about what you can see or hear from a portfolio. I think that's the, the part that I've certainly been trying to develop here at Frontier, uh, where I do a lot of the audio recruitment is how can I get my ear attuned to the to the team and what they want to do? Because what sounds good to me, and I think, yeah, that's that good in a game. They might be like, oh, I didn't quite like this little crack of a bit of wood at this section yeah. like, oh, right okay i need to i need to look out for that and understand why they don't like it or whatever it would be so yes yeah, a really interesting point and um, something i'm sure will take us a a long time to ever get right and i don't think anyone will ever be perfect at it because taste is a another whole different type of bias to to, to get into but yeah no thanks for your points on that really just, just on that josh i was going to say like following on from andy as well where you said around you know make it easy and just go on art station and that's the easy part to match up the style yeah. i've done a lot of podcasts with like art directors and creative people uh, um you know on the on the evolution exchange previous episodes about creating an art style and how they have like that eye for art because they have art backgrounds and things mm -hmm. as well yeah. obviously i'd never come from an art background i just joined recruitment and over my two years in recruitment i focused purely on game art and design roles so the first couple of months and the, the, well the year for me was mostly sort of understanding their creative eye and you know how to do that and and how to match it's not as easy as sometimes say you know just match that style and do that yeah and like you were saying there josh you think i've done so many times where i've viewed audio profiles and gone oh yeah that's really good and it's come back as like no and you're like why because it's exactly <laughs> the same as you say so how like how would you say how long it takes for you to do that or is that a challenging process to speak with managers and like to get that information across and to learn you know all that type of stuff is it quite difficult oh. to do does it take a long time for for you guys to to do in your experience yeah i think i think from from my experience um and obviously i can only really speak for frontier where i am now but um 
absolutely absolutely not like they're so accommodating to spend time with me to we'll do dual listens where we'll both listen to a, a track or a, a, a section together and we'll kind of pinpoint areas and they'll kind of give me little hints and, and tips to to look out for and and that's been like invaluable because I mean, mm-hmm. from anything if you're if you just try and base it on you going off out on your own as a non-audio person even though i love audio and games right and i'm I'm, I'm really into it, but um, I'm not an audio designer myself, so I don't have that ear or eye, as you as you call it. So yeah. I think doing that live is really good because you're getting you're getting kind of access to them. Like to say, this is this is what we're hearing, this is what we're seeing. What don't you like? I think that's that's really good, and and yeah, we're really good at doing that at Frontier because we, we we're fortunate enough to get a lot of interest, so we get a lot of um, uh, reels to to look at, and that is a expensive use of our, our time but absolutely we need to get that right because every hire is critical it doesn't matter how big you big you are um you, you need to make sure that those hires are, are good so I'd, I'd assume it's similar in other studios but or, uh, do you speak on that yeah it's just i think that you you touched on something completely right josh and which is the 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 time that is invested by people uh working at the company, trying to explain those different crafts. They're so passionate about these things. So whenever you actually show interest, I feel like I'm always invited into this world and they just <laughs> kind of open up and they really want to explain, uh, you know, passionately about their craft. But it's also, I think, ultimately one of the biggest cha- challenges as, as a recruiter because you you have to understand some basic knowledge of pretty much all craft, unless you're a specialist within, like you say, Andrew, like mm-hmm. in terms of either design or something. But if you do happen to pro to to recruit across multiple disciplines, then you'll have to understand a whole lot. And I don't think any of us can be, you know, specialists in all areas. So we'll have to be basic generalists, so to say, in in each area. And I think that's a huge task and very dif- difficult. And it, it all comes back to also understanding the, the previous question we talked about, you know, with artwork and all that, getting into the to the thoughts and, and, and ideas of, let's say, an artist that is hiring for this role, understanding what is good artwork, what is bad artwork, or what is good sound design, what is bad sound design, and even programming. So there, there's so much to learn, but I just like the fact that ever since I joined the, the games industry, the passion is just very clear in this industry. I'm not, not downplaying any other industry. I'm sure that people are passionate in whatever they do, but it's just very clear to me, at least, in, in the games industry, People really want to, it's it's centered around something really creative for fun and engaging. And that's what uh, truly comes comes forth when, from from the people that you speak to. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to agree. I think, yeah, the, the, the games industry is a passion industry, right? So the, the people who are in it, you know, they choose to, they choose to want to go into the games industry. It's for, for, for the vast majority of people, it's a lifelong, you know, mission it's all they've ever wanted to do um and so yeah it's i've I've found the same you know hiring managers uh, are very happy to sit and talk about what they're doing and what they like and what they don't like um i feel that one when i first joined xr games i i made it so when when i first joined they'd never had a recruiter before so they, they hadn't really had any the only experience that they'd ever had was working with you know recruitment agencies and such um so they'd never had somebody actually in-house doing it for um i made a real conceited effort really in the first month or two to really get across um my purpose 
for being here and and my purpose of being here was to make your life easier um i want to t- i want to improve processes i want to get you good people but to do that you you've got to work with me you know you can't just be it's, it's not a service i'm not just going to provide you stuff and actually just setting that out at the beginning has has actually really helped because there's now there's a value in in what the department does and actually you know they i think i think now people understand that well if i do spend 15 minutes sitting down and talking for you even though i'm super busy and i've got a million things to do actually it will it will make my life easier um further on because i won't have to wait through a number of rubbish cvs and portfolios um so i think that value of, of recruitment within the studio um is really important but it is something that but it's something that just refines over time right the more you recruit for someone the better you get at it yeah. um uh, you know if you you know we did a huge amount of last year we did a huge amount of art art recruitment in particular we did like um you know we 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 did like 30 odd artists last year um you know for a for a small studio that was a lot uh and you kind of get to know you know you get after a while you, mm. you know after a few you're like oh yeah that's definitely a hire or actually yeah. no, that's not even worth going through you just know after a while but it just takes time it will always get better yeah, well, really, uh, really good question. Thank you, Josh. It was a great one to start with and kick us off with. Um, we'll move into the second one then, shall we? So, Casper, over to you for your question, please. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, my question is more centered around something that, you know, I hold very close to my heart is actually how to ensure a kind of a good candidate journey. And if uh, you, Josh and Andy, have found like that great recipe in balancing the process of length and complexity. And also, you know, moreover, ensuring that both the company gets the information they need, the employees that are in, included in the process, they feel included. And of course, also ensuring that the candidates feel uh, informed as well. Yeah, yeah. really good question. Go on, Josh. Yeah, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, um, I have to jump in on, on that one. I think it's, a, again, a really good question. I think Canada journey, uh, ever since I've been a, a baby recruiter, um, has always mm-hmm. been a hot topic. Um, and it's one of the areas that I'm most keenly interested in because uh, I always think there's there's things you can do to to, to be better in this. But uh, I think really you've got to boil it down to treating everyone as a human being, right? Um, we need to make sure that we we understand that there's a human element to all of this. And um, so we're all basics. I've just obviously been kind of prompt courteous and setting the expectations up from from the beginning, both with your I mean, internal stakeholders and, and also the, 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 the candidates themselves. Um, but also getting up front and, and being honest with a candidate, if you expect there to be a, a delay, get ahead of it. And don't don't wait for them to come to you and say, "Ah, oh, it's been a couple of days. I haven't heard anything. What's what's going on?" Be 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 over communicative if you can, and mm-hmm. just just say to people that we, we've had these issues. We're, we're working on something internally, whatever it might be. We just need a bit more time, but but get there first and, and give them that so that they they feel kind of loved as part of the journey because we we deeply respect anyone who applies to a to a job, and I'm sure you guys are the, the same. So we need to to kind of treat that as. Um, as, as as well as we can, um, but but also I think you you've got a got a big duty of, of care around candidates in terms of their time away from the process as well. So if you think about tests, for instance, and, and how we set up kind of interview processes. So my experience, kind of having a, a two stage in, interview process, generally fits most studios best, and um, uh, and I think that reduces the the time 
um, A, for both the candidate and the hiring team, the weight of the interviews from the team and how much kind of uh, a drain on resources that can be. Mm. And that's not draining a bad way because we need a, we need people in the studio to help us and make great games. But it is a it is a time they have to spend away from the the project. So we need to kind of help to, to free them up as much as possible. Uh, and I guess also if you think about it, if you have a four or five stage process, for instance, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure if you speak to someone long enough, you'll find somebody you like in that time. So you don't want to open every door there has ever been. And there's always going to be a slightly different way of doing things or an answer you didn't quite like. So I think you've got to set that process up to be kind of very and um, very defined from the start. You've got you set list of, of questions. You've got some other maybe areas that you can offshoot to if you if you feel like you need to, but everyone needs to 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 be accountable to their actions in that interview. Make sure that give everyone a fair chance. And mm. um, yeah. And, and ensure you've got kind of uh, enough time in between interviews to actually, do you know what, switch off and think about the interview you've just had. So don't just jump into a meeting straight away, give yourself 15, 20 minutes to relax and then think, do you know what, what did I think of Josh? What did I think of Andy? What what were the kind of key points there and to, to, to write them down? Um, but also you, you don't want to get um, hung up around these stages. Either. You don't want to draw things out. So and um, that that's really the I think one of the, the hardest bits bits to manage here. And I'll probably open a little bit of a can of worms when I say this, but when you get down to the kind of final one, two, three people, how do you manage the expectations of of, of people at that stage? Because you'd probably take all three if you could, but you've got to split hairs and, and make a decision. And then you've got to keep some people warm as part of that process if you're exploring mm-hmm. maybe an offer with someone else. And 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 it that's a really tricky part to, to do actually and i probably have opened a can of worms here so sorry about that <laughs> but uh how do we how do we kind of work through that because it's it's not to say that you 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 would not want that that second choice candidate because it could literally be a 0.1 percent difference between them but how, how do you kind of go around that and how do you keep that fair as well i think is a really big topic and probably a, a longer topic than you have time for available today but yeah that's that's kind of my point mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel um, I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of this stuff is the stuff that we get taught, right? You know, when you when you first start recruitment, you start your trading, and then whatever else. I feel like these are some of the basic stuff that you kind of get told, and then you know, as people get into the job, most people just kind of you know you get in bad habits, right? And um, you know, forget about it, and you you know, you just don't don't keep on top of things, and that's where that's where the the whole stereotype of you know. Horrible recruiters never never reply. You know, ghost to me. That's that's where it all comes from. Is from bad practice like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I agree. Hudson with a lot of stuff he's saying. Like the, for me, the, the the setting expectations is hugely important. Um. You know, there's not there's never one right way of of doing something. How we recruit for one role will be totally different to how we recruit for another role. There there isn't one. I don't feel there's one sweet spot as such. What I what I try and focus on, so what what I try and focus on here is actually throughout an interview process, what do we actually want to achieve? What do we want to find out? Who needs to be involved and why? Um, and what what value are they adding? Um, you know, we don't want to just do stages just for stages' sake. Um, and so, you know, it's and and what that does mean is that sometimes, you know, we we've recruited some um some some really senior people, you know, like C suite people over the last year or so and you know they do take longer uh there's no doubt about it they 
you know that there are just more stakeholders that what that you want them to meet you want them to meet all of the management team and they're undoubtedly never all all three at the same time yeah. um, but it's about setting that expectation at the beginning going look this is probably going to be a long process. These are the people that you've got that you're going to be. Um, I don't know what order you're going to meet them in, but you know, you're, we, we want you to meet all of them and just setting that out right from the beginning so that they're clear. Um, okay, this is what you can expect. I think where people get annoyed is that it's the whole um, under-promise, uh, well, what was it? Over-promise, under-deliver uh, mm, uh, type yeah. of thing. You know, if some, you know, if someone's expecting to to hear back you know quickly or, or or get something wrapped up in a week and then actually you know that you know it's not going to happen for a couple of weeks then um and you don't tell them that's when people get annoyed whereas you know if you're really upfront and honest with people and say look um you know uh we're gonna we're gonna be reviewing things next week and then at least people know and some people you know you lose you do lose people and that's fine if you take too long that's fine that's that's the accountability you have to take and that's from the other side then that's the um expectations that i feel we have to make to our hiring managers and such and say look you know for me i'd like to get your feedback on cvs and stuff right away i'd like you mm. you know i want to set some you know targets and boundaries for how long you do it and that kind of thing um but ultimately look i'm not your boss it's up to you but it's up to me to make you aware that if you don't do that you will lose people um and so up to you to decide what do you want to do and then kind of come to a agreement there so it's kind of it's kind of making both aware of you know what they what their expectations are what you know what they, what the um you know what what would happen if they don't keep up their end of the deal ultimately we're, we're middlemen right we're, we're the ones just kind of managing both sides and trying to make everybody happy um <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah, I also think like that there's kind of like the two sides to it. There's once the what's what's expected internally. Do you have to have you done the intake meeting to begin with, and have you ensured that you've got all the details and you've got buy-in from your hiring managers so that they don't to give you you know timely feedback. And then there's the external thing like what do you communicate to candidates? And uh, we all know that the recruiting the more senior people that we try to recruit in the games industry, the more difficult it gets. Right? There's kind of like this circular vicious circle of us of all of us trying to hire the most senior people from from each other and uh, you know having a hard time giving chances to all the new people and it just spiralizes into this uh you know you know yeah proposal of uh, more pay and uh, more perks and uh, less time to to do the job uh, that needs to be done but it's kind of like what what we do so in, in that connection is also like what do we communicate to the candidates and they also require very timely communication and preferably uh, done by yesterday so i think it's like usually that's what i feel like is a huge challenge of creating a good candidate journey being fair to anyone from juniors or internship seeking promising new talent to you know the most senior directors and all that I want to be, you know, have to ensure that timely communication, uh, and but I also need to get buy-in from 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 the from the company and from the hiring managers. So it's a very, you know, I feel like it's a very delicate and very difficult um, exercise to kind of balance this and create a good candidate journey uh, for for everyone in it. Uh, so because we have, you know, yeah, okay, sorry, hey, go ahead, Andy. I was, I was going to say. I'll Although interestingly, what I found not just in games industry, but it's just in in other industries as well, 
is that it actually gets easier to recruit people when you get people who are really senior. So the your, your kind of C-suite executives, that kind of thing, you know, who are on, you know, six figures, um, you know, I yeah. find that they're actually easier to manage through a process than somebody who's a senior and on, you know, 50, 60, 70 grand, something like that. Because actually they because they're probably involved in recruiting themselves they've, they're on the other side and they've they've actually they've, they're more aware of actually what it is and actually they're a bit more chilled about it and they're not you know and they're actually for them they there aren't a million jobs available for them because you know you can only have one in each place mm. so um you know i found i found funny i found them to be a lot easier to manage than some than than kind of you know the the level where everybody wants those people um they're the hard ones to manage. Yeah, I see where you're going. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's true. But certainly well, as well. I, I, the I, I was going to say that I've I've been in the situation where you said where you've got like you know two or three candidates and you you know they're all they're all great and you know but you can only hire one and that's a insanely difficult and delicate situation to manage <laughs> where you you know and i i find with that is you kind of really have to be it, you, your constant communication your constant updates the just being available um you know setting setting expectations really setting expectations of the hiring team of saying look if you want to offer this person i need to know i need to get that out today um, you know, uh, if you want to keep, if you want me to keep this person warm, I can only keep them warm for forty-eight hours. Um, mm. You know, it's not fair to keep anywhere to get anything lost. Um, and you just, you kind of have to get a little bit of authoritarian when you get to that point because you have to take control of the situation. Otherwise, it will just run away from you. One thing I'd say to follow on from that, Andy, is where you said earlier, and with Josh there, with like having, you know, all them different things going on. To come back to the question, Casper, of like, how can you be better? I'd say. A lot of it comes from being disciplined with your time management of yourself, being able to do all these million things at the same time. Because say you've got all like three processes, like you were saying there, Andy, and you're taking time to like go to the manager, speak to the candidates, keep people warm. You might also have whole other roles on which you'll be resourcing for in the meantime of that as well. So, you, you know, in terms of recruitment, you could have a million things on at the same time. It is a busy job and it can be very, very busy and very busy periods. So like scheduling the times in your diary to remember to message people because the amount of times like like we, you pointed out earlier, you're not necessarily ghosting people, but you're building bad habits of forgetting to do something because you're concentrating on something else. But if you schedule that time to go back and message or like you've set reminders and things like that and be very disciplined with yourself and you build them good habits, that's, I think, one area where I, like my recruitment personally has like gone up very well over the last couple of years because I've been more disciplined with my diary. I think that's one point that, you know, from what you said there. Certainly. And I think you'll say a lot of recruiters, you're getting a, you get a lot better at um, wherever possible, trying to automate tasks, trying to keep, you know, use whatever technology you can uh, that's available to you to try and, you know, um, keep on top of things and, and yeah, just be super, super organised. Because I don't think, I think a lot of people who haven't been in the job don't realise just how much of a cluster it can be with that, when, yeah. when, when you've got that many things on the go. All they, all they care about is them and that's fine. That's That's totally fair enough. Because for them, they don't get, they don't care about me hiring other people. All they care about is one. Well, what about me? I'm, I've applied for this job. 
Yeah, uh, and then you, know, you, you reach matter, a certain but... point in your recruitment process where you no longer you do you know you can no longer take actions by yourself because you're dependent on somebody else. I think that's the most frustrating area. So in the beginning, the early stages, you can do talent screening, you can move candidates around, you can decline those that weren't relevant. You can also you know really propose and sell this job to the one. And then you reach a certain stage where hiring managers or craft specialists need to review them, and then you're like dependent on getting feedback and that's where the frustrating part starts and as you say Andrew if you have a million processes going and you're waiting on an answer or feedback on someone that's where the you know I, I at least that's where I feel that that's where I tend to lose my oversight and sometimes I miss communicating to the candidate and yeah having result in creating a, a bad experience. I suppose it's easier when you work with um hiring managers you do set them expectations of like when will we have a you know the next feedback or the next update because i remember the early days of my career it was like i was just wait after an interview waiting for feedback you know like oh well i'll message you know the next day and say when and it you know sometimes it's a week now i've got in the habit of booking in a feedback call with a manager the day Mm. after so they know they've got that call coming you know so they have to have some feedback and just little things like that to set them sort of expectations yeah. and, and you, you already have been very proactive i'd say rather than being very yeah. reactive with everything the the proactiveness can make that candidate's journey but also your process for recruitment just miles different and elevate it to so many different levels i'd say well yeah really good question casper i think we're you know really good points on that from both josh and andy as well and yourself um but we'll move on to to yeah we'll move on to the next one uh andy over to you sure so so my questions regarding um contractors and then um you know interested to hear how how in your studios how do you how do you recruit contractors you know on a fixed term you know where it's whether it's three months six months one month you know whatever it is rather than full-time employees um how does that differ how does how does the whole thing differ and i guess why i think i think a lot of people would never really understand why uh, why that would be needed and what 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 you're looking for that's different compared to when you're hiring a, a you know a full-time employee so yeah interested to hear how you you know what what happens for you guys yeah really good question go on casper yeah so i can start actually uh so at our interactive we i'm i'm i feel kind of blessed in the fact that we have a policy that we always invest in the candidate as a not and not in a specific position so what does that mean so what we try to always uh, you know do is is recruit the candidate for the long term so hopefully they'll be on this project for let's say a game designer on this project they'll stay on the game designer role in a permanent position and once the 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 project approaches its end then we'll have conversations and talk and hopefully they'll stay so we don't use as much uh, contractors and but we do have the temporary position once in a while and when they come up it's usually because we have some you know, there is some task that come up that is of a, uh, you know, an imminent need, but not something that we see on the long run. So um, it, it's it's the rare cases that that happens. That's where we 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 open up a temporary position, and and then it's we we communicate it, and then it's kind of like that's that's what we're looking for only. But as such as contractors, it's not something we use. Uh, we try to keep it in house. In, in that case, Casper, if, yeah. if, you know, you do have that temporary position that comes available for whatever reason, just yeah. to, to the back of Andy's question there, like, how does your recruitment process to that differ mm. to, to your full-time recruitment process? 
Yeah, so usually actually we try to apply the same recruitment, uh, like recruitment process, like in any other position, because we don't see the position not as necessarily as less important than others. It's just a, you know, restraint in terms of time, but not in terms of what needs to be done. Uh, and there's also the opportunity, the chance that this this position could ultimately be a full-time position at some point. We don't know. Um, usually that's with, with management or whoever has requested this role. But in the case that we do this temporary, the recruitment process will be the same. That's interesting to hear. Josh, what about yourself? So that's another good good question. Thanks, um, thanks Andy. So um, in terms of studios, so to speak specifically about game studios here, I mean, contracting, at least in my experience, is generally used for very niche cases. So where we might have a particular deliverable set of actions that at least keen eye of someone who's been there and done that across multiple studios with kind of very little guidance um, or help to get them up to speed. So this could usually be, say, if we had something, maybe it was in art or, or something like that, where we'd needed some extra set or props or whatever it might be, to, to and we just haven't had the luxury or the bandwidth of doing that internally um where we like we could use a little bit of um for a bit of help here just to get this kind of piece of body of work across the line so we would typically use it in that that kind of case um rather than trying to accommodate someone on a permanent basis and kind of almost create a, a an extra headache for ourselves where okay once this body of work's done what do we do next with them um and i think the key thing is the getting up to speed if you start as a permanent employee yes you can get some up to speed pretty quickly but you've got to be mindful that you you, you don't want to overload permanent employees really kind of treating this as like i'm going to be part of the studio long term there's going to be uh, lots of things i need to learn i need to learn about the engine how we work with all the plugins how all of that kind of works and someone who's kind of a, a contracts specialist of whatever description has come in, looked at a project from a like a, a top-down view and gone, I know exactly how I need to implement that or do that, and I can just crack on and get the body of work done in a few weeks or a few months or whatever it, it might be. Uh, and then that's a kind of win-win situation, I guess, for, for all, really. Um, but the, the main, I think, reason for, for, for us that we would always try and get all permanent members of staff into the into the studio is that we, we're here for the long term. We're coming up to almost 30 years now in business mm-hmm. um we're always going to need probably more people until uh until johnny our ceo and team say look we're capacity for now let's let's give the rest but at the moment we're uh, we're all guns kind of blazing so i think there's always the opportunity for us to go do you know what we could have someone do this and move on to that mm-hmm. and then this project's going to kick off we've got enough internally for them to be doing let's make it a permanent role um, and, and that's a nice win because it gives someone opportunity to, to have a permanent permanent role, right? But um, yeah, you do get these uber niche complex scenarios where you're like, we just need somebody who's not going to detract away from the team. We don't really need to teach them anything. We don't need to sit with them and show them stuff. They're just going to get come in, get a body of work done and, and kind of leave gracefully. <laughs> And, yeah. and hopefully we'll have them back in the future, right? And I'm, I'm assuming a lot of these people that we work with and you all talk about are probably people you, you know in and around the industry that worked with you on a particular project before and and they, and they kind of just get some of that culture and how we work and, and they're very good at doing that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. But um, I'm assuming, Andy, I don't want to assume wrongly, but 
maybe you've asked this question because you guys do use contractors or are you thinking about it? I'm interested to know why. Well, a fairly fairly recent uh, recent thing. I guess we are, as a studio, I guess in a very different position because we are we are a lot smaller and, and younger um, than the than from where, where you guys are um, and we we are we are at the point where we're not always we're not always recruiting it's not you know it's not like we've always got roles on um, all the mm. time we're very much at the point in the minute where we we're, we're growing uh, but we're not you know it's not like there's there's always roles on um, permanent wise um, and so for us um, yeah the contract has come where there's a yeah, once you know, there's a specific need um, for a project, but it ju- it, we just need someone just to do that bit. We haven't either. We haven't got that skill in house, or we haven't got, um, mm. or we haven't got the time for someone to do that in house because they're busy doing something else. Um, and I found, and yeah, and I found it's funny because I found it. It's not as common in the games industry as is in a lot of like when you work in just the tech industry. Contracting is a lot more common um, yeah. than the, than it is in the games industry. It's not it's not really the done thing. Um, re- um, really, there's there's a handful of people um, who, who do, but for the most part, is is permanent. Um, but there are, I feel that there are there are some huge benefits to bringing in contractors in that sense that we found. So you know, um, obviously you get. The, I think where a lot of people miss, and I've spoken to lots of candidates who go, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about doing contracting, uh, or people who are permanent. But the, what, what people don't quite understand is that when you're hiring a contractor, um, it is different to hiring perm because we, we're we expected to come in and just pick this up and get on with it from day one. Um, yeah. You know, the whereas with a permanent person there may be some flexibility to well yeah we you know maybe you don't hit every every single mark but we can train you on that and we can develop you at that over the next six months or whatever um and we can put you on a pathway for it um actually as a contractor no we 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 we, we want you to come in because you're good at doing this um and we want you to be able to do it from day one so the you know generally what we look for is you look at the people who have done this before and can show me that you've done it before i want to see a direct example of what i'm looking for show me that you've done it before um and that's why i think people kind of sometimes don't quite understand and also the, the kind of you know we want someone immediately we want someone to start last week ideally um you know that's um you know when not really going to wait around for you to serve a month's notice or three months notice or anything like that. We hire someone permanently to do that. Yeah. Um, we need someone ASAP. Um, and it's yeah, it's a, I, I find that our, because of that, our process differs as well. Our process becomes quicker. Um, you know, we 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 try and condense everything as much as possible. Um, and you know, while you know, uh, there's you know, you want to. Don't want to. No one ever wants to hire someone who's a you know who's who's you know an absolute arsehole. You 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 know where you you where you were for really focusing on your your values and focusing on you know um, this person needs to be someone that we can grow in the studio. Actually, we just need someone who's good enough to work with and can just crack on and get on with it uh, mm. a lot of the time. It's really interesting to hear you three different opinions. Because like, in terms of what I do, I only work on contract recruitment. Like I, at Evolution in the gaming team, we don't do any permanent recruitment. We only work on contracts. And the reasons you've said, Andy, like a, a skill readily available to come in straight away is one of the most common where we, we've heard of, you know, why we recruit for contractors. That case of, 
you know, especially positions like a technical animator or something really niche where most have like three month notice periods and you know you could need someone asap to to put out a fire that's when people typically come to us and casper from your perspective like we work mostly in the nordics of like maternity leaves and, and parental leaves or sick leaves you know where people tend to be away for sort of six months or so and you know that's the uh, a reason to bring in a contractor or even from the perspective of you're looking for a full-time hire but it can take a, a long time to find the person to to get them rep through all the interviews that we've spoke about and the processes mm. and the notice period that can take four or five months to do anyway you know to, to find the right person so to fill those gaps as well is a, an area where you've got someone available so it's really interesting for someone in like my shoes to hear all these different reasons and as to why and you're right andy the the recruitment process of a contractor you know we've had people who we, we've had the job start like start with us on a on a Monday and they've started on the Wednesday you know we've done two interviews in the afternoon and we, we've got them in straight away because it is that type of quick process so from my perspective yeah it's massively different from from the permanent side of things I, I would I also say that, I, I said the process looked the same before well I, I wanted to correct myself because definitely of course if we if we define the craft already like if somebody if we define a need somebody who's who we need to, for instance a technical animator or something and we know this individual can do the job then what is left is of course screening for a cultural mm. fit a team fit all those things so of course we're not you know we're not locked in in a recruitment process that needs eight steps in order for us to finalize yeah. we can yeah. we can fast track anything so of course if if our you know production studio production comes to me and say hey we have somebody going on maternity or paternity leave or something and we need this individual to start now usually we have a conversation so when how long can you wait and then i give a rough estimate on how it takes to fill this position Usually, you know, of course, with with the the mind of what the what kind of position it is, and then uh, an estimate of how long it will take. And in that case, I, I would assume that we could use contractors. I, I I think we could. We just haven't had the, you know, uh, mm. that we haven't had that case yet. Um, yeah, yet. they're not everyday cases because, like Andy said, and you know, I think Josh mentioned as well, the majority of studios are going to be full-time you know no mm. one's saying like a, a studio is going to be 99 percent contractors but it, it's for them needs and you know it, it like for, for the reasons in between you know where you can fill them gaps go on andy like what one of one of the uh, one of the other benefits which which um, which i forgot to mention as well is the i think what we found is that actually bringing somebody in external who is not been with the project for us any time or not been with the studio can bring a fresh perspective to things uh, a lot of the time so particularly if you've got a a technical problem or something that you're trying to solve something specialist you know which is hard um actually a contractor who has come in who can come in who hasn't been involved in and can look at it in fresh eyes but also is much more likely to have seen lots of how lots of other studios do it uh, because you know per person i mean you know you, you i mean you know i don't want i don't know what the average time is to move jobs nowadays but you know they're gonna they're only gonna have worked in a few studios depending on how senior they are whereas a um, you know, a contractor over five years might have worked with ten different studios. You know, um, mm -hmm, you know, and yeah. seen ten different ways of doing things. Yeah. And actually, they can come in and go, "Oh, actually, do you know what? I saw th this is how we did it here, or this is this is a mistake we made there." And it's that kind of fresh perspective of going, "Oh, yeah, right, we didn't think of that." 
um, um, that can those kind of fresh eyes can be a real big benefit. I think to the team's plan. Yeah, some really good points. Any uh, anything else from Casper or Josh before before we wrap up? I think on I think on that one. The only last point I'd probably make, in, and you said this right early on in your talk around it, that uh, it's not as common in the games industry. I agree with you there, um, and I think a lot of that comes down to sensitivity of the games we're making, NDAs. Yeah, I've worked in tech before, and everyone knows we're making an accountancy product, right? So it didn't really matter if we had someone come in and go deep within our code and look at what we're doing and help us out because everyone knew what we were doing. But we've got so many of these times where you, you don't want to share, share with too many people what you're, you're kind of building. And yes, you can get them to sign NDAs and all that kind of things, but they've had eyes on it at that point. And mm-hmm. it's it's very difficult to retract that once you've you've had it. So there's a big kind of trust on mm-hmm. that. And I think with, with us and maybe this will be different for other studios again is that but for us we we predominantly in 90 percent of our, our games we use our own custom engine so a contractor has never been have seen what our engine is like anywhere else they might have worked with another in-house engine but it's going to be set up very very differently might work with unity i'm really or anything like that again they'll be set up very differently so i, w- I would suspect that in studios where they do use some more off-the-shelf engines with some custom parts to it and some 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 tech that's been added in then yeah absolutely there would be some real high value to that but yeah for us i think yeah you, you just got to be careful around the nda piece as well and, and make sure that you're not kind of overexposing yourself to to any any risk and it's not to say that people wouldn't would say anything have been in this industry a long time the leaks rarely come from contractors or anything like that but just another consideration to make i think yeah it's a really it's good a point better to market yeah we also have a proprietary engine and we've also had the same talks. We can't just bring somebody in. There's a substantial onboarding period to get to know the tech and how it works and how it's set up. So, yeah, I completely agree. That's also usually been what the blockers when I've introduced or suggested that this is uh, this is what I get from, from, from the hiring managers that is basically just going to take too long to onboard people. It is something we hear quite a lot as well, to be fair, mm. and I can completely understand it. The only thing I would say is that um, most contractors, like Andy said, if they've been around different projects, will likely have used a lot of different in-house engines. And though they are in-house mm. engines and you ha- do have to get up to speed, it will take a period of time. They tend to be a lot better at or doing that, or better and quicker at doing it than uh, you know the, the full-time person because there's no real, there's no rush for them to do it. You know, like they will get onboarded into the engine, but you know within a period of time they know that they're not got a set period that they're there for. A contractor will know right. I need to hit the ground running, so I'm going to get up to speed on this engine fairly fairly quickly, which mm, you know they're yeah. quite used to doing. So there's always, I think, everything's sort of a balance. You know, there's always the you know the argument whether you can or you can't and it's an assessment and things beforehand but there's pros and cons to anything like that and like i think we said before there's never going to be a a full studio full of contractors it'd be interesting to see what game would come out of it but (laughs) it's a it's a very good question andy anyway so uh thank you very much but just cautious time so we're going to wrap up there i think that's uh, the three questions um that we've got time for today so thank you very much to josh casper and andy for joining us on another episode of the challenges of recruitment in the gaming industry and if anyone else wants to join the evolution exchange feel free to drop me a message and we'll get in touch but for now thank you very much and we'll see you next time